Hey gang, good morning. Sorry, I'm a bit late today. I had to get kids out the door for school and they were running behind a little bit and such is the life of a parent in the morning at 8 a.m. East Coast time. And I hope you're doing well at whatever time you're catching this. Uh, last week uh, when we got together, uh, not only was the internet not working where I was at, but Facebook was also down. And so there's probably a decent chance that a good number of you didn't see it. Uh, last week, or at least when it was going on because of that. So I'm glad that it seems to be working today, apparently. We'll find out later, I guess. But uh, So we left off uh, at the end of chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 21, where uh, basically everybody, the church, um, is commanded to submit to one another uh, because everybody in the church is so super awesome and deserving of your submission. Uh, no, no, that's not what it says. Uh, it says out of reverence for Christ. I mean, because Jesus Christ is Lord, we sh one of the ways we show this is by being willing to submit to one another out of reverence for him, out of worship for him. So it's not based on whether someone deserves it or not. And now we're sort of moving as we get to the end of chapter 5 and beginning of chapter 6, we're moving to the more personal uh, instructions for how to walk uh, as Christians, uh, from basically being a church to being a family. And, uh, and we're going to start right now with a word to wives. And so it begins with verse 22, and then we will move on to husbands. Don't, I'm going to try and squeeze it all in today if I can. Uh, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, uh, let's just stop there in the verse 24. Uh, that is probably not a very popular word, at least in the West these days, the word submit uh and especially when it appears that uh only wives are called to do that in this particular set of verses it might strike you as being unfair or unjust or something like that but hold up i mean wait till we get to the husbands and what they're called to do uh, but I figure we probably need to just clarify what that word submit means. And so let's talk about what it isn't, and let's talk about what it is, so that we have at least a little more clarity when we come to that word, because I think it's loaded with all sorts of baggage. So first of all, submission is not inferiority. Uh, scripture is very clear in places like Genesis 1, verse 27, Galatians 3, verse 28, that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. Uh, these verses clearly teach that uh, truth. Uh, it doesn't mean that women are identical to men. It doesn't mean that women have the same natural proclivities as men. It doesn't mean that they have the same gifts as men necessarily or the same strengths as men and vice versa. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, but it does mean, um, it does not mean, just to be very clear, submission does not mean any way in any shape whatsoever that women or wives are inferior to the husband they are equal secondly submission in a marriage is not unquestioning obedience um, if you want an example of a 
married couple that are that seem to be in a disagreement, but it seems to be acceptable in Scripture. Just so you know, I'm not making this up. You can go to 1 Samuel 1 and read there where it appears that there is dialogue going on between husband and wife. Um, and this is obvious in our day, but, you know, just to make sure you understand, submission doesn't mean that you're a robot that just does whatever your husband says to you are supposed to do. Uh, submission is not sinning, or for that matter, being sinned against because your husband told you to. Uh, so Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29 shows the general biblical principle. Uh, you have there Peter and John uh, brought before uh, leaders in the Jewish world, and they command them to stop preaching Christ. And Peter lays out the principle saying, uh, it, unless God, uh, you know, it's, it's not right for me to go against my conscience, it's not right for me to go against God's word, and so I have to preach the gospel even if it goes against your rules. And so uh, that's the principle that we take in all of life. So if your husband, let's say, wants you to lie for him, you do not submit to him in that. If your husband uh, doesn't want you to attend church, for example, or doesn't want your children to attend uh, a church, you do not have to submit to him in that. Uh, submitting to your husband does not mean sinning for your husband. Uh, let's say on the other side of the coin that your husband abuses you. You do not submit to him in that. Your husband cheats on you. You do not submit to him in that. Uh, your husband spends your grocery money for the kids on booze. You do not submit to him in that. Um, your husband leaves you. You do not submit to him in that. And I could go on and on with all of the ways in which this is not uh, calling you to submit. Um, now, it is true in the text. It does say, and it might, you may have noticed it when I read it, calls the wife to submit to the husband in all things. And you go, or in everything. And you go, well, doesn't that include everything? And yes, generally, if I read a word and it says that, I go, well, that must mean it. But we always have to remember that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And there are many Scriptures that outline ways in which um, both women and men are free to uh, not participate in something if it's called, if it's sinful or if they're being uh, abused or hurt by the, the partner in the marriage. So uh, that is why I say that. Uh, and then finally, what submission is not, it's not submitting to all men. This is specifically a call to wives to submit to their husband. Uh, and that's a very important detail because I think uh, throughout history what this verse has been used to do is it's been used to say to women everywhere that they need to submit to men everywhere. Bunk. Not true. Women do not need to submit to men everywhere. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. So then what is submission? Well, at bottom, submission simply, I mean, I think the best way you can put it is trust. And if you're going to have a relationship like a marriage where you're, where you're called to be incredibly vulnerable with one another in, in, in a way that you're not with any other human being and should never be with any other human being, then yes, both parties are in fact going to be called to trust each other, to submit to each other in different ways. And you'll see the husband's way in a little bit. If that's not part of the posture entering into a marriage, as I often counsel people, if the posture is, I'm in this for me, don't get married. Um, the posture is about serving the other. That is... That's our first 
go to. That should be what we want to do as a married couple. Now, I, I get it. I mean, we're not talking about perfect uh, relationships here. We're talking about relationships that are real and troubled and have difficulty and arguments and all those things. But ultimately, when a wife is called to submit to her husband, she's really being called to say, I trust you. I trust you. I'm, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to, I'm going to be by your side. Uh, and the reason I say that is because Paul makes it so clear that this relationship between uh, husband and wife is ultimately meant to picture the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride. And how does the church submit to Christ? Well, with joy, not out of compulsion, but out of a loving desire to, uh, to please him and to serve him. The Christian person, out of gratitude for what Christ does for them, makes a, makes a, um, <clears throat> is, is submitted to him, is brought to trust in him. And so that really, I mean, when it comes down to its submission, what you're being called to do uh, as a wife is to say, I'm going to trust my husband, that God has given me him to lead me. Again, remember what I said, it isn't first. But then that's what it really is. It's saying, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to, I'm going to lean with him. So then what's the command to husbands? Well, verse 25, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Now, let's just stop there. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. In which way, Paul? In the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Oh, Okay, so wives, wives are called to submit to their husbands, and that's a, that's a responsibility, and that can be challenging because, it, you know, our flesh never wants to trust anything but ourselves. Our flesh never wants to submit to anything but ourselves. But the husband is called to do something very hard and difficult as well, and that is to die to himself. Just like Jesus Christ dies for the church, the husband is called to die to, to die for his wife. And why is that? Well, Paul goes on in verse 26. Anytime you see a, the word that, um, usually that's in Greek a henna clause, which means it's telling you the reason why the things written before it were written. So why did Jesus give himself up for the church? Why do husbands give themselves up for their wives? That he might sanctify her, that is, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now we're getting into like, now we're, we're suddenly Paul is making some profound theological points. He's sort of moving away from marriage in particular to like the relationship that marriage pictures, which is the relationship between Christ and his church. And what does Paul say Jesus Christ does for his church? Well, he sanctifies her and he's cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, let me ask you, dear viewer, where, oh where, do we find the combination of water and word together that promises cleansing? You're right, baptism. This is Paul talking about how God uses baptism to cleanse his church. Why? Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you know that that's your standing before God right now? That in your baptism, that's exactly what God made you? 
without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. You are completely holy. You've been cleansed in every way from your sins. That he sees you. Uh, he sees his church as this beautiful, beautiful bride. Uh, and yet, I mean, we know that we, <laughs> as a bride, are not. We are way too aware of all of our blemishes and way too aware of all the ways that we don't measure up. And yet here, Paul says, Christ gave himself up in such a way and has done everything for his bride, for his church, in such a way that he sees her as being perfectly beautiful. And then, by extension, Paul is saying, yeah, that's, that's what I'm, I'm hoping husbands look at their wives like. In the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Now, again, we've got this, this sort of juxtaposition between marriage and the church. Now, where does the church get nourished? That's the word that Paul uses there. Well, I think Paul's alluding to the other sacrament that we take part in as the church, that we're nourished by Christ in, and that is communion. So, you know, Jesus doesn't hate the church. He, he nourishes it and cherishes it. Paul says that's what husbands ought to try and do for their wives, to nourish and cherish. To cherish means to value highly. I mean, to treat as this wonderful, wonderful gift. And Paul says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. In other words, Christ, the way Christ has united himself to the church, being the head connected to the body. You cannot have one without the other. They're so interconnected. So Paul says that's the way marriage is between a husband and a wife. You're so interconnected that to not treat your wife well, husband, to not die for her and to not love her is to hate yourself. You're actually harming yourself. Now, what is his proof for this interconnectedness? Well, he goes right back to the very, very beginning in Genesis. He quotes from Genesis in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul says that's what Jesus has done with his church. He's united himself to you, his church, in that same kind of way. And that's the way that he's united you in your marriage with your spouse, husband. So if you hate her, you're hating yourself. You can't, you can't treat her poorly and not treat yourself poorly, is the idea that he's getting to. So verse 32, this mystery is profound. It's almost like Paul is saying, I'm, like, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm thinking about all the theological implications of all this at the same time as I'm trying to instruct you how to be married. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. And then here's the sort of summary statement. However, this is really what it all comes down to. Let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here's... Here's what I want you to picture marriage like in the end. I think the way that we tend to think of it, you know, is like 50-50 or we're going to give as long as we get back. And it's natural for us. It's natural. But the picture here is more that 
that we're constantly looking for ways to give and serve to each other. That we're constantly looking for ways to give and serve to each other. And I, the way I, I, I tend to think of it, again, getting back to the church, if you think about what worship is, uh, worship, when we gather, is both a giving and a uh, receiving. So we're gathered by God in worship. He gathers us to give us gifts. And yet at the same time, we are bowing down in response saying thank you throughout the whole service. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but but worship is often referred to in theological circles as like a divine conversation between God and his church, between God and his people. God speaks, we respond in praise. God, uh, you know, gives us his word, gives us his sacrament. We respond in praise and thanksgiving and prayer. I bring this up because ultimately the relationship of marriage is meant to be a one of constant self-donation to each other. Constant self-donation to each other. Is it easy? No. It goes against everything in your flesh. Will you fail? Yes. Multiple times, all the time, every day you will to some degree or another. But Paul is outlining like, this is what I hope your marriages can look like because this is what's going to lead to harmony and flourishing in your homes. If husbands look for ways that they can give themselves away like Christ looked for a way to give himself away for the church. And if wives look for a way to affirm that they're submitting to their husbands, they're trusting their husbands, then I'll tell you, it really will lead to a harmonious home. And so that's what Paul lays out for us. Why do we do it again? Why do we seek to do it? Because our spouses are so deserving? No. Again, go back to verse 21, out of reverence for Christ, because he came to us when we were not deserving at all, still comes to us when we were not deserving, and loves us in spite of our many sins and sees us in spite of ourselves as holy and without blemish. So, all right, gang, that's it for this week. That was a mouthful in a short amount of time. Um, but hopefully that's edifying to you. We'll see you next week. We'll talk a little bit about parenting and, uh, and work situations. All right, God bless.